0: sounds like God has amazing stuff ahead for us and has already done in our lives individually and already in this church. And as I read the Bible about the church and I see its movement in the New Testament, I can't help but notice that the people that made up the church in the Bible and really throughout history that have done anything for God And have served his purpose in the world and have made a difference where they were as a community of people did so with great faith, did so with great courage, and did so with great risk. And I feel like that I can't get away from those stories, those analogies, and those implications in the Bible when I read it about the church. But then I start to think about my own experience and my own life in the church as part of the church and and leading in the church. And I think I'm not sure that my experience in the church in terms of faith and courage and risk as I'm involved and as the church is involved in the world really looks super similar to the one that you see in the Bible. Um. You also see that in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is just evident and real in the movement of the church, that God is using people like you and me, ordinary people to do extraordinary things, but it's evident that God is doing those things because it's evident that human beings couldn't ultimately accomplish those things. And so then I step back over into here, into my own experience, and I look at the landscape and I go, man. The Holy Spirit is real and he is alive and well and living in us, the Bible says. And so he's not some mysterious ghost that kind of floats in the wind. The Bible says that he lives in the believer and his presence is made known through the believer in the world. And that happens. But I'm not sure that the, the power and the, and the potency and the miraculous is being seen In the world, through the church, like sometimes we see in the scriptures. And so it makes me search my own heart. Search my own motives. Think about why I do this. Who I'm doing this for. Why I give my life. Why you give your life. Why we gave our lives to Jesus when he pursued us and rescued us. Why, as a church, God says to us that you will be an unstoppable force if you are obedient and faithful to me and I will show my presence in the world through you. Why he says those things and then we don't necessarily realize them where we live. And I think it's obviously the Holy Spirit, but I think sometimes it has a lot to do with faith. It has a lot to do with courage And a lot to do with risk. I think the American church and 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 us as a people are risk averse. I I think we're comfortable. I I think that we've gotten okay with our status in the world, which is this place that people go for one hour on the weekend, and has no more voice, voice in culture, has no more voice when it comes to shaping uh, truth, has no more voice when it comes to helping people, has lost its voice and purpose in cities and towns and places all over this country where it used to be the first place everyone went for help, everyone went for assistance, and everyone went because they knew someone would get them to the place they needed to be. And I feel like we've come comfortable with that. That's made us probably in some ways really safe. It's probably made us in some ways complacent. And maybe in some ways apathetic about the real purpose that God has called us to in the world. And who he's called us to do it for. And that the world knows what we're doing it for and why we're doing it. In, first, or in Philippians 1, Paul writes these words in verse 12. And I want you to know, he's writing a letter to the Philippian church. We know from history that Paul wrote this letter while he was on house arrest in Rome. So he doesn't even know his own fate, has no idea what's going to happen to him. He just knows that it might not be good. He also knows that he is under uh, a, a duress and stress from... Being imprisoned, and, and he's in prison for one reason, one reason only. He didn't break any laws, didn't steal anything, didn't cheat anybody, didn't not pay his taxes, doesn't have a lot of debt, didn't murder anyone, didn't assault anyone, didn't do anything. He's in prison under house arrest writing this letter to a church and a people that he loves because he can't get to them writing the letter because he's in prison. He's in prison because of Christ. That's it. He's in prison because he has confessed, lived for, preached, and proclaimed Jesus. And that's it. And what's amazing about this letter and about the idea of risk and sacrifice and faith and courage is what Paul says right before he gets into this verse. I love it. Look at his attitude. In verse nine, if you have a copy of the scripture, it's not on the screen. So if you don't have it, i just listen to this as I read it because I want us to understand what Paul's attitude is. He's not depressed. He may be privately fearful. He may be privately anxious. He may be stressed. And actually in here he says in some way that he is. But this is his heart attitude about being in prison for Christ. Watch this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And you can almost hear some elevator music in the background. You know, it's like it reads like a Valentine's Day card. Guys, get on it now. And, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. He's writing to free people as a prisoner. What? For I want you to understand what really matters. <laughs> okay so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And this is a prison, man, imprisoned man, writing to free people with the heart attitude of praise and worship and joy and love. Right in the middle of adversity and challenge in his life. Writing to people who, yes, no doubt, like us, have challenges and issues, but they didn't have challenges like him. So this is his posture. This is his attitude. What's amazing how convicting that is for me is that should be our posture and attitude always as it comes to living for and serving Christ, but but certainly when adversity comes through our lives and we have to live through challenge. It's hard. I get it. I know. But Paul did it and he wasn't superhuman. He's just a guy. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with faith. Had courage. And was a huge risk taker. Look what he says in verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, talking to these people, using family language, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Let me read that line one more time. Everything that has happened to me here has what? Has helped to spread the good news. Interesting. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of who? Christ. You ever watch prison shows? How many of you have ever seen the show 60 Days In? Did you watch that? If you are lacking stress in your life, Or um, anxiety? Um, um, Or, I don't know, depression? (laughs) And want to be more cynical about our justice system? Then uh, watch this show. It it took place in southern Indiana, literally right across the bridge from where we lived in Louisville. I think that's why we got interested in it. Bonnie, I'm going to throw her under the bus. She got interested in it and roped me in. Fascinating show. Uh, Five people who've never committed a crime, never done anything wrong. In fact, some of these people are like uh, government professionals. This one particular kid was finishing a master's degree in in, he was from Philadelphia in in criminal justice and was going and wanted to be an FBI agent and the whole thing. And they volunteered to go to jail. And I have no idea why. None (laughs) whatsoever. We have some police officers in our church. They're probably going, idiots. Um... But they did so because they wanted to see the system get better. The sheriff had this amazing vision because he had just taken over, saw a lot of corruption in his own jail, in his own system. And he couldn't think of a a better idea than to put people in there that had, uh, you know, an agenda to go in and to see how the jail was run, see how people were treated, see how it looked, uh, and see if things were, were truly running like they should and if everything was on the up and up and how they could reform it. Pretty ingenious idea, risky, risky stressful. Like, I mean, I would get done watching the, like an episode. My body would hurt, you know. It's just like, oh, why am I doing this? Let's watch another one. And, and so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your know, eyes are bloodshot. It's like 12 o'clock. It's like, ah. Oh, huh. um, so, so what was interesting element about that, though, is that they're finding out what everybody is in for. And there's this huge element, um, this huge element of the prisoners that are actually in for crimes try to figure out why the people that have been planted in the jail are in. And so they're constantly questioning them as to why they're in jail and why they're here. And not only are they constantly questioning them, they're like probing them. And then, they're, and then they're asking them detailed questions about what happened and how did you do this and where are you from and this and that. And it was, it's just an amazing examination of, of why you're here. And I think they're trying to figure out whether or not they can trust them. And they're trying to figure out whether or not they're a plant because apparently that happens all the time. Uh, and they're just trying to kind of form in a weird way this community in there. Paul is in prison and explicitly writes to the Philippians that nobody in prison or the guards themselves or anybody who's running the jail or is overseeing his house arrest has any question as to why he's there. They don't even have to ask him. In fact, he says, everybody, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. They don't have to probe. They don't have to ask. They all know he's there because it was so evident, so real, so expressive in his life. Expressed in faith, expressed with courage, at great risk. And so everybody in this prison that Paul is in knows he's there because of Jesus. They don't have to figure out his story or ask him or figure out whether or not he's a snitch or a plant or whatever it may be. They don't even have to ask. He, it's so evident, he tells his friends. It's obvious they know why I'm here. Convicting again. Do, do, does the world know why we're here? Do they know why we're doing what we're doing? Do they know who rules your life? Do they know why you make the decisions you make and why you come here on Sunday instead of sleeping in on a rainy day? Why you would rather worship God and be uh, among the community? Why you would uh, go out and help somebody you don't know? Why you would express love that doesn't seem to make any sense in a way that no one else really does? Why you would show grace in a situation instead of rage? Why you would make certain decisions in your family? Why you choose to be ethical and moral at work? Do they know why you do that? Do they know why I do? He says, and because of my imprisonment, because I'm here and because everybody knows, most of the believers have gained confidence. This is, what's, this is where it gets really awesome. For them and for us. Because I'm in prison, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message Without fear. Wait a minute. Most of the time when somebody gets locked up, the idea is for people that know them and that are like them is to not do what they were doing to get locked up. And Paul says, I'm in prison. Everybody knows why I am because I'm preaching about Jesus and I'm living it out in a radical way in a courageous way. But because I'm in prison, the people on the outside that should be looking at me going, I ain't doing that, actually gained confidence to speak the message of Christ with boldness and without fear. So him being in prison actually made them more courageous. It actually allowed them to take more risks it actually gave them more boldness. Crazy. Everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. I, I want to make this, and, and if you don't pull anything away today, maybe, maybe we pull this away. This verse is not saying that the good news was spread in spite of difficulty, but that the difficulty actually helped the gospel to spread. That doesn't seem to make sense. Adversity is something that we often see as an impediment to progress. Adversity usually stops us from doing what we do. Adversity and hard times and challenges oftentimes derail us in life. It oftentimes knocks us off kilter and rightfully sometimes it should and does. But in this particular case, as it pertains to Christ, and the gospel, and what he means to us as we walk through adversity, and what he means to comfort us and give us peace as adversity and challenge hits our life, when that is expressed in us to other people, the good news of what Christ has done and is doing for us spreads out, not in spite of the adversity happening, but because it happens. It's a a different way of seeing hard times. That it is a way in which we can greater tell the message of Christ in our lives and that people can be filled with hope because of it. There are some things I've gone through in my life, one particular thing that was so devastating that I wondered for years how there would be any meaning in it going forward. How it would ever make sense how there would ever be any communication of hope. And from literally almost the moment after this happened, in the months, and for the last 10 years since that happened in my life and in Bonnie's life, I couldn't stand here long enough and tell you all the stories and people that I have met all over the world. I I, I remember being in a hut in Guatemala, speaking through interpreter to a man and a woman, offering them peace and hope in the same situation that I had been through. And so it's not in spite of the adversity. It is because of it that the good news and hope of Christ spread. Somebody in our community was in a terrible car accident really recently. I got this unbelievable text from them Of pictures of the car. And it's like, wow. I mean, God is so good and gracious. But then I get this other text about how she was in a wreck too. Almost like the same kind of wreck. And it was devastating and all this kind of stuff. And goes on to tell me how her experience then allowed her to minister to other people and to her boyfriend. Not in spite of adversity. Because of it. What's amazing about Jesus is, is that with Jesus comes adversity. It just is what it is. It's always happened. He's, he's going to always stir the pot. I was watching this awesome stand-up comedian last night, me and Bonnie, on Netflix, and he, was, he, he threw a couple of jokes out there, and I didn't think he was being profane, but like what was funny was he made fun of the audience because when he said the joke, he noticed that everybody just got all quiet and tight. And he was like, is that making uncomfortable? Because he, he knows and everybody else out there knows that it does. So it comes, adversity comes with that. But what's amazing about having adversity because of Christ and challenges as a follower of Jesus is that God is so powerful and so gracious and so good that he because of that adversity, makes his name known. And he makes the the beautiful nature of restoration and healing and forgiveness and hope and comfort that that we have all felt in our lives in different ways known to people who need it. And then when people receive that, they want to know what the source of that is. And then we're able to tell them Knowing, do people know. Everyone here knows because of Christ. If the world doesn't know exactly why we are doing this, then we are failing on our mission as a church. If they don't know that this is because of Christ and because of our love for him and because of the gospel, then we're just playing we're just a nonprofit organization with live music. If they don't know the reason why we live and breathe and why we're here this morning to worship this God and then to live with purpose and passion and power and to take risks, to love people well. After last Sunday, someone pulled me aside and offered me just this great addition to it to say, you know, to, to be a friend and to have relationships and to love well is risky because you risk getting hurt but it's worth it. And so, as we do this and live our lives, if people don't know we're doing it because of Christ, then we've missed the mark. We've got to fill in that blank because of Christ. What is the blank? Fill those things in with your life. They could be a myriad of things. I make this decision because of Christ. I do this in my life because of Christ. I treat people like this because of Christ. I work like this because of Christ. I don't go here because of Christ. I don't talk like this because of Christ. I don't abuse this because of Christ. I don't take advantage of this because of Christ. I believe in the truth because of Christ. I love others because of Christ. I serve when it doesn't make sense because of Christ. I do things that the world doesn't understand because of Christ. I, man, I'm starting to get all M&M in here. It's getting fired up. It's going to get, it's about to get crazy. Who is a fine Christian? Because of Christ, <laughs> he raps. <laughs> oh, sometimes where my sermons go. Because of Christ. Are they knowing? Do they know? They don't know. None of this matters. We're just hanging out, guys. We're just another church on the block here in West Columbia that nobody wants to go to. And then nobody cares. If they don't know that the people of God are living this way and cannot fill in the blank because of Christ... And therefore, because we're doing it together and because of what God's doing in and through us, we are, others are emboldened by that message. And man, we're like, we're not running from it. We're more courageous. I, I was emboldened and given passion and hope and like I kind of wanted to go out and preach when when Gary was in my house the other night and we were studying together about him sharing in a memorial service the gospel yesterday. I I was I was getting f- passionate and fired up. It, it emboldened me listening to him talk about telling strangers about Jesus. If they don't know, we've missed it. And, and we minister, we do life, we live, we work, we serve people that don't know. And they, they don't, we, we don't know what we're looking at because we don't know what we're looking for. It's like me going in a women's clothing store at Christmas time trying to buy something for Bonnie. I don't know what I'm looking at because I have no idea what I'm looking for. And oftentimes I just stand there this blank stare like and everything's just running together. It's all gold and belts and seams and <laughs> cotton and silk. I don't I don't know. I black out for like 2 or 3 minutes. <laughs> Some teenager, you know, comes over and help me. Hi, sir. help something? Can I help you? What? And then they, they point me to a place where I can go and what are you looking for? I, I don't know because I don't know what I'm looking at. I, I shouldn't be here. It feels icky. <laughs> I'm, I'm over my head. The Bible says that before we knew Christ, we were in spiritual darkness. Man, the light was turned off. I mean, he goes even further. Jesus uh, expressed it in this way, that we were poor, miserable blind, and naked, that we were, were completely without hope and, and just wandering around, and, and that's what we are, and that's what the world is, and, and, and so they have no idea what they're looking for. John 1's explicit. It says that Christ came, and they weren't looking for him, and they didn't know him when he came, and so because we don't know what we're looking for, we, we oftentimes don't know what we're looking at, and, and so that's why the church, it is us, to have the responsibility to show the beauty and grace and goodness of Christ to a world that has gotten used to and comfortable with seeing ugliness and rage and corruption. It is our responsibility. It is the church's responsibility. We're like Paul. We're to display this so people can see it because they don't know what they're looking for or looking at, but then when they see it, They they got to get a picture of what it should be. And so that's why they have to know why we're doing this. Same writer, Paul says, because we understand our responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. they'll, They'll see it. They'll know it. And then they'll realize what they're looking for. New life. When they realize what they're looking for, they'll know what they're looking at. And then they will follow suit because of Christ. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That's what we have to do. We have to stop looking at this and measuring this and, and calculating the risk and thinking about how we would feel and what this looks like and what makes sense and what's cool. What's hit? What's in? What's in? Huh? This guy's doing over at your church. What's in? What's in over there? Huh? Huh? I have no idea what you're talking about. We, we stopped looking at it from a human point of view. We thought of Christ that way, but how differently we know him now. Man, how differently I know Christ now than until I was 19, until I truly came to know him. I looked at him from a human point of view, looked at his people that way, looked at his purpose that way, and looked at the world that way. Missed it. Dad had no idea what I was looking for because I didn't know what I was looking at at all. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We speak on behalf of Christ. We live on behalf of Christ. We do everything we do because of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. That's so awesome. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We're pleading with people because of Christ, to know him, to experience the life and peace and hope and eternal understanding of Jesus that we have. We're pleading with people through our lives, so they have to know. For God made Christ who never sinned to be offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. Verse 14, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers gained confidence, boldly speak God's message without fear. (laughs) Uh, Had a position coach in college that played wide receiver. It's a hazardous uh, position, especially for someone not, extra big like me and most of the guys that I played with and he would talk openly and directly about going over the middle he was like if you're going to be successful and you're going to be a good wide receiver and you're going to make plays you better be fearless and willing to take a risk and willing to be courageous to go over the middle and he would show us film of people like Jerry Rice And others who were fearless in the way they played and would just risk body and limb and mind to go over the middle to catch a pass for his team and make a play. And then he would show guys getting blown up. That really helped my courage. And then I would go out to practice and get blown up and that really helped my courage because I wasn't a very good player. And But then he would always show some guy taking a hit, then making a play. Then taking a hit and bouncing off and running and scoring. And he would talk about the risk of making a play and being injured to to do something extraordinary. And he he would always use this phrase, hey guys, no risk it, no biscuit. (laughs) Meaning, if you don't risk anything, you'll never, ever, ever taste the reward. So if you never put yourself out there, and no one knows, and you never have courage and faith as an individual or as the church for them to know why we're here, we might miss the biscuit. You might miss the reward of seeing what God can do when we risk. And I'll be honest with you. I would rather risk it and almost get killed so that I can just have one minute of tasting the reward. I would not trade it. I would not trade anything in my life that I've been through. I would not trade any adversity. I would not trade any challenge. I would not trade any loss. I would not trade anything that should seemingly have stopped me. I would not trade anything that's almost caused me to walk away from faith. I would not trade anything because of the reward of Christ. And not only the reward of Christ in my own life, but seeing others know, experience, and find hope in him. No risk it, no brisket. Or brisket for the Texas people in here who like beef. I don't know. I just go with it. <laughs> no risk it. No biscuit. Church. we got to be risk-oriented. People got to know why we're here. We're not clever enough, smart enough, cool enough to, to make this thing something that we don't want that anyway. Who wants to go? I mean, yeah. This is because of Christ. And what I've found about people and even experiencing it in my own life is one of the most powerful voices for God's message. This was Paul said. He said, because of my imprisonment, they have become emboldened to speak God's message, the gospel. One of the most powerful voices for God's message, I've found, not only in, in my own life, but in going all over the place, is someone who has gone through adversity and, and has lived to tell about it. Because you know you won't die. And you know that, God restores and he's good and he's still alive and you're gonna be okay. Might take a while. Might take some time, take some healing. Might take some other people, other parts of the body coming together to minister and to help. That's why we're here. It's because of Christ we do this. But that person gets this courage and this risk because they know they can step off the ledge and they'll come back again. And that person doesn't fear as much. That person doesn't have as much anxiety. That person doesn't rest on their laurels as much. That person is not as stressed when it comes time to put themselves out there. That person is not fearful. T.S. Eliot, one of my favorite writers, Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Let's risk together. Let's let them know why we're here. Jesus, we we pray to you today.